0: and Peter Schweizer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This
2: is The Drill Down with Peter Schweizer.
0: Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Joined, as always, with my co-host, Eric Eggers, who is an author and vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute. Now, Eric, we have talked before about the tragic war that is unfolding in Ukraine on other podcasts. We wanted to revisit it again as the war has now entered the second year. Uh, we usually look at issues related to cronyism, corruption, as it refers to domestic Mm -hmm. policy. But we want to talk about in a global aspect today.
2: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think there's some basic assumptions that have gone unchecked. And I think Republican leadership has actually referenced that the American support for Ukraine is the biggest reason why they've been able to pass massive spending bills. And I think in my opinion, I could be wrong, but our, our guest will kind of help us inform us if I am wrong. But I, I do think that the national attention is sort of rapidly diminishing away from attention investment. It used to be, right? I mean, the, when the war started, it was on CNN every day. Yeah, It was on every news channel yeah. every day. We were getting news reports from the field. And you don't really hear about it very much anymore. But um, the, there are still people that are making a lot of money off of the war because we're spending a lot
0: of money and aid in Ukraine. Yeah, that's exactly right. And to be clear, we've said this before, uh, we are fully in support of the Ukrainian people and supporting the efforts to defend their sovereignty and independence. But you do have this problem of people profiteering uh, people in Ukraine, people in the United States that are going to funnel money. We had this huge problem with Afghanistan, of course. Helping us unpack all of this and the geostrategic side of this as well is Rebecca Koffler. She's a Russian-born U.S. intelligence expert who served as a Russian doctrine and strategy specialist at both the Defense Intelligence Agency. She also did work at the CIA's National Clandestine Service, and she led red teams during war games and advised senior Pentagon Officials. Uh, You will find her on Fox News and elsewhere. She's also the awesome uh, author of a terrific book called Putin's Playbook. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me, uh, Peter and Eric. Such a pleasure to be here with you and your audience today.
0: Well, give us, first of all, your sense of how the war is going. And the reports that we hear is the Ukrainians are holding steadfast. Russia's having to use the Wagner Group and and uh, basically criminals uh, to fight this war because the Russian military can't seem to do it. And the only way they can fight this war is with these frontal attacks. But where do you see the war going? And then we're going to talk a little bit about How can we make the war fight more effective and how can we avoid some of the fraud and waste that occurred in Afghanistan and elsewhere? But first, give us your thumbnail of where you think the war is right now.
1: Sure, well, this war is unwinnable, uh Peter. The Russians have captured between eighteen and twenty percent of uh ukraine's territory, and as you correctly pointed out, they're bringing everything you know in the kitchen sink uh into this fight by that I mean the Wagner group, which is a bunch of uh criminals that Putin is releasing from prisons to go and fight in Ukraine but the bottom line remains is that there's a disproportionate advantage that the Russians hold in terms of the balance of forces and balance of power. Here's what I mean by this uh, the Russians are using its centuries-old strategy in Ukraine to outsuffer and to outlast the adversary. It's called, colloquially, the meat grinder strategy. The Russians lost 25 million of their own citizens in World War II. Today... Russian military's losses are about 200,000 with Mm. the population of Ukraine, 43 million, and Russian uh, population, 143 million. You can see that Putin has a lot of flesh to throw into that meat grinder. And Ukrainians, despite the fact that they have been fighting valiantly, they have surprised everyone, including our intelligence uh, agencies but it doesn't eliminate the fact that they simply don't have enough people and enough weaponry even after 196 billion worth of high tech equipment uh, has been flown already into ukraine by the united states or promised uh this war unless it becomes unwinnable in which case the ukrainians are just going to be slaughtered uh it's going it, to it's just basically is unwinnable
2: but but you've just said that the war is unwinnable right yeah. and so that kind of puts the amount of money in funding that we're dedicating in aid to the Ukrainian people, which of course now becomes more of a humanitarian issue and less of a military issue, less of a national security issue. And I have to tell you, one of the things that I'm sort of troubled by is that in your expert opinion, which I absolutely believe uh, that this war is unwinnable. One of the things in our research packet here, because we, as soon as this happens, we're like, okay, why are we so invested in this? Why are we spending so much money? Is this thing a big cash cow for the defense industry, which is you know, Defense spending, obviously, is a massive thing here in the United States. But our research indicates that actually the defense contractors Lockheed and Raytheon, quote, don't expect a bump in Ukraine-driven sales to emerge until 2024, which makes me think then that they're invested in perpetuating this war until 2024. Is that possible?
1: Oh, yes, it's absolutely possible, not just till 2024, but beyond. So, uh, here's the two prong, uh, strategy and goal that the Biden administration, which is highly corrupt. And I know Peter has written a lot about that. Um, that they are pursuing. Outwardly, they are saying that, you know, we're helping Ukraine fight for their democracy. Well, that's myth number one. I mean, I love Ukraine, but Ukraine is nowhere near democracy. Zelensky is not a democratic leader. If anything, he's closer to Putin in terms of, like, he's running a one-state party. He has outlawed any kind of independent media. He's sending... His security services to interrogate priests and this sort of thing. So, but yeah, so but because the Biden administration knows that freedom and democracy are hot buttons with the American people, he's manipulating the American people. Underneath, he has two goals, and they stated stated some of these goals very openly, and that is to weaken the russian economy and degrade its military and that will take a very long time because the pentagon itself has designated russia as its near peer competitor the russian military despite all of the mishaps and the tactical you know uh, incompetence the fact uh, of the matter is it's still a top military and in certain weapon system and in doctrine and strategy, it has advantage over the United States, including nuclear. So and again, the second one, it's all of the corruption because we have already invested an equivalent, of entire Ukraine's GDP gross domestic product 196 billion dollars we have already pumped in Ukraine's GDP for 2021 was 200 right and the United so- States
2: has spent that much. the United States has spent the equivalent of Ukraine's GDP in Ukraine already.
1: 100% true fact. Okay, and it's not a secret anybody can go and go and Google this. But not only that, Eric, Zelensky is quite open right now what this war is about. Um, In the beginning, he was issuing all of these, you know, uh, heart-tugging, tear-joker videos, you know, with children being blown up and was pleading for more weaponry. Well, right now, he's actually candid. He's having meetings with the Chamber of Commerce at Boca Raton, Florida, with the National Association of Manufacturers, and he is appealing to the investment firms and to the military industrial complex, saying that this is an investment for you guys. Guess how long it's going to take to rebuild Ukraine if this war were ever to end? $396 billion. I mean, <laughs> this kind of money, it, the math is becoming prohibitive because we are in debt. I mean, we have 31 trillion dollar debt that we're saddling our children and grandchildren with. The American people are not stupid. Sooner or later, this whole Russia-Ukraine hoax is going to unravel. Just like the COVID, you know, cover-up unraveled, the same thing is gonna happen with the Russia-Ukraine and the true reasons why the Washington uh elites are supporting this war and why the Biden administration is continuing to fight it indefinitely.
0: We are talking to Rebecca Koffler. She's the author of a terrific book called Putin's Playbook. She uh, worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency and CIA uh, in a previous life. Uh, So, Rebecca, you know, this presents a, a terrific dilemma for us in terms of making decision makers. Obviously, I think we all here and the vast majority of the American people are sympathetic to the average Ukrainian who is suffering as a result of this war. Uh, and yet they are led by this, let's say, ethically challenged leadership. Um, Zelensky, uh, of course, was put into office with the support of oligarchs like Kolomoisky, who is who is highly, highly, highly corrupt. We've looked at him before. He was uh, involved with Barisma when Hunter Biden was there. He was also reportedly the man who pocketed billions of dollars in taxpayer money with the failure of Privat Bank in Ukraine. So these are the vessels we have to deal with. How do we move forward, Rebecca? Uh, You know, my view is let's give the Ukrainians the means to defend themselves in terms of guns, but don't give them any cash because the cash and the financial grants are going to disappear. It reminds me of the Afghan war where the Afghans, it was discovered, had these ghost armies where these military commanders were were saying they had 35,000 soldiers under arms. They didn't have any, but they were being paid to provide paychecks for 35,000 soldiers. That could be going on in Ukraine. But the question is, Rebecca, how do we go forward? Presumably, we want to help the Ukrainian people. We don't want corruption. What options, if any, do we have?
1: Here's my proposed plan. First of all, if you are pro-Ukrainian, if you love the Ukrainian people, you must p- place pressure on this administration to push Zelensky to settle for peace. Why is that? Is because, as I said, the Russians are using its century-old uh, strategy, the war of attrition. That's how the Russians won every single war. It's just but the relentless attrition of manpower.
2: And the Russians and so, already have mandatory conscript conscription for a year, right? So any men between 1824 have to serve in the military. So they've got a built-in supply chain of military power already.
1: Exactly. You just nailed it, uh, Eric. And not only that, um, Russian Defense Minister Shoigu announced that Russia is going to beef up its armed forces to 1.5 Million conscripts. They are already uh, having uh, 350,000 people just ready to join the fight and uh, additional 150 in training camps. So Putin has been preparing for this for the past 20 years, okay? And unfortunately, We ignored, the including the Biden administration, every single signpost of what was unraveling. In fact, I personally briefed, you know, the White House. I briefed every combatant commander that's involved in uh, the uh, European theater, UCOM, Stratcom, the the commander that uh, is in charge of our nuclear forces. Nobody wanted to lift a finger, right? And right now, what's happening is our ruling elites are openly saying that this is a good investment for us to continue bleeding the Russians out. But they are bleeding Ukrainians. They are real people. I mean, they are men, men, women and children. And so uh, for what? To protect Europeans who fail to provide for their own security? Uh, Look at this number. Only eight countries out of 30 uh, provide 2% towards the, uh, of their GDP towards the collective security kitty, right? Germany, they'll. The richest country in Europe doesn't even provide that. So if you love Ukraine, you must uh, push for this war to end. And then the second um, thing that I want Kolomoisky is all right on the on the money, Peter, that you just said. I don't need to, you know, go over any of that except the fact that uh, our own government banned Kalamoyski and his entire family from right. entering into the United States because right. of his massive corruption. He's on, in, uh, under investigations. Ethically challenged, like the entire Washington ruling elite is, is, is just so ethically challenged. The, the first uh, plan that I propose is tell the truth to the American people. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you can't hear the truth because there's almost an embargo with uh, with the legacy media. If you say anything if that is even perceived as negative towards Ukraine, even factual information that we just talked about, such as the fact that uh Zelensky's campaign was bankrolled by Kolomoisky, you will be banned for these networks and you won't come back. And so truth needs to come out. And that's the first thing that needs to happen.
2: Rebecca, what I heard you say is that if we really want to support Ukraine, we should give our friends that are German a hard time because they're not carrying their weight. Any German people you know, call them up right now, give harangue them for, uh, once again, perpetuated genocide. so <laughs> that's essentially my takeaway. Putin?
1: Eric, what do you think Putin was doing back in Eastern Germany? Putin is a KGB operative, right? right. He was running spy networks in in East Germany. That was his job, re- recruiting spies and penetrating the government. And the German government has ne- not still recovered from the dent that Putin was able to put. Why do you think they generated the dependence on the Russian energy? I mean, it's not – there's no coincidence. You know how, what the Russians like to say? This is not a coincidence.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take your word for it that that's what that means, Rebecca. But what, what I think is um, interesting to me is if the Biden administration and the powers that be here are benefiting and if they're pitching this as this great investment opportunity – then in some way, and this is a weird thing to say, but it's almost like Vladimir Putin has done these people a favor by invading Ukraine. I mean, is that something that is that part of his calculus that he's like, hey, listen, we can get away with this because the bene- people will benefit from the, the destruction and the havoc that we will wreak? I mean, does he does he knowingly take into account the economic benefits to the United States for, because of Russian military action?
1: Well, absolutely. Putin is actually, despite the fact that uh, there's a lot of um, kind of mocking that goes on in uh, Western media of, uh, of Putin and there's all sorts of propaganda that he is, you know, sick with cancer and this or that. Putin is a master, you know, strategist. And in my book, I described, you know, um, his strategy. He's not only looking at the battlefield, right? He is bringing in sort of the big geopolitical uh, uh, picture. He's using cyber. He's using space, all of these um, weapons that he developed, right? They are built to exploit vulnerabilities in, in US, in U.S. military posture and warfighting strategy. What do I mean by that? It is no coincidence that the Chinese have just been able to identify glaring gaps in our airspace security, right? The Russians are so much better in that. Um, and so Putin... Is using all of those things But in addition He is looking at the geopolitical You know, uh, big picture The strategic environment And there are tectonic shifts In that environment that are going on You know, uh, Russia is getting closer to China To Iran, to North Korea And he's looking at all the globalists That are meeting and you know uh, Every year And planning about how to take over the world And he knows how to generate dependency among those people, right, on Russia, on China. And so what's going on right now, there's a massive transfer of, of, um, of wealth from these military industrial, from rather American taxpayer, right? Because where does all this money come from? It's from us. It's from Peter, it's from Eric, it's from me, people like us, right? And it flows, it funnels through Ukraine, because we're providing not only weaponry, we're providing training, we are uh, paying pensions for Ukrainian government's workers, for goodness sake. And so all of that wealth is transferring to the military industrial complex, and. To the global elites and to the financial investment firms like JP Morgan, BlackRock, uh, Morgan Stanley, you name it. That's whom Zelensky is meeting with right now. He's not meeting with us. He's meeting with those top dogs.
2: Wait, did you realize that? You're telling me we're paying? United States
0: aid goes to pay Ukrainian pensions? Yes. And, and uh, pensions in the United States aren't guaranteed by our government. It's, it's, it's a strange thing. But let, let me say this again. Vladimir Putin is a thug. He's ex-KGB. He wants to reconstitute the Soviet Union. He's a massive threat. But here's the concern that I have, Rebecca, and I want your keen analyst mind uh, on this because you've looked at it, is it's unclear what the Biden administration strategy is, um, and you see hints of, of effectively unconditional surrender. They're talking about war crimes, trials for Putin. Does he deserve to you know, go to trial? Absolutely. But the problem is the immediate point that you say unconditional surrender is, is our goal. You put Putin in a situation where it's do or die. He needs to win this war and escalate it maybe start using battlefield nuclear weapons, whatever threatened. Yeah, exactly. He's already threatened, but you put him in a corner where it's it's either do or die. And that seems to be the strategy. And that is the dumbest thing uh, to do. It's one thing to say unconditional surrender for Adolf Hitler when he doesn't have nuclear weapons. But to say that to Vladimir Putin in this context is absurd. So what should the U.S. strategy be? And you talked about the need for some kind of a peace settlement agreement. Could you put some specifics to that? What should this agreement say? Where would the territorial line be? Um, What could we do to give Putin something to save face so he would do this deal, but would also protect the integrity and the security of the Ukrainian people?
1: Sure. The first thing that I want to say uh, in the beginning, you said it's unclear what Biden's strategy is. Well, it's unclear because there isn't any.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: this traditional, stra- traditional approach to warfare I- is this. You keep throwing weaponry and you keep throwing money and, and hope uh, that the problem is going to go away. And guess what? We did that in Afghanistan. We sacrificed $2.2 trillion, Of American taxpayer and 6,000 American lives. And then at the end, after 20 years, we ran away and left. $85 85 billion dollars worth of top secret, top-of-the-line high-tech military hardware to Taliban, the same people oops people who who wear, <laughs> wear towels on their heads, they're still running the country. Yep. That's Biden's strategy. Okay, we don't have another 20 years. And so um so yes, the peace strategy uh that I b- have assessed, this is my professional intelligence assessment yeah. that that's what Putin would accept, okay? As an intelligence officer, we don't tell like what the policy and strategy should be to because we're supposed to be unbiased. Right. right. So this, we only talk about what the adversary's perspective is. Right. And of course, Peter, you're absolutely right. It's a it's it's an absurd strategy to push Putin into the corner and say, oh, this man cannot remain in power you know it's not just biden's lindsey graham i used to respect lindsey graham but he is now off his rocker you know basically uh telling the russian people need to uh remove putin and need to stage a coup i mean what kind of madness is that what is putin gonna do of course he's gonna uh get all these nukes uh ready and he is remember the nuclear forces that he put on special combat alert are still remaining there well and and
0: uh, and just to add rebecca to your point Even if there were a coup, what guarantee is it that the new leader would be better than Vladimir Putin? There's no guarantee.
1: You would be worse, Peter. (laughs) Guess who is going to take over? It's Nikolai Patrushev, the head of Russia's Security Council. Another, you know, KGB assassin. These two are like this. You know, they're close. They're not just professional colleagues. They're buddies because. Patrushev executed a um, uh, demolition of Grozny strategy during the Chechen war, right? Mm. This is the guy uh, whom Putin trusts. Anyway, so it's all wishful thinking and fantasy that the Russians are going to remove Putin. Russia. Putin enjoys 79% approval rating. Joe Biden can only dream, you know, in his wildest dream about such approval rating. Uh, but uh, back to peace uh, strategy that Putin put potentially may approve, the reason I'm caveating it potentially, it's because Putin doesn't trust uh, Biden. He doesn't trust the Washington establishment. He would trust somebody strong who is actually a, a, a peace, uh, I'm sorry, a deal maker, right? Somebody like the 45th president. But if he were, he could agree to uh, if he is allowed to uh, retain the 20% um, of the territory, Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, Kherson, um, the portions of Ukraine that he annexed, plus Crimea, right? And if the West were to acknowledge it as Russian, and the second thing, so, so there are three things. So that was the first thing. The second thing is, if Ukraine were to be legally guaranteed to be neutral, not a member of NATO, because that's his red line, and I can explain why that is his red line. And then the third thing if Zelensky is removed and a more neutral government, you know, were to be in charge of Ukraine. Other than that, he is uh, planning on continuing annihilating Ukraine. Ukraine is right now... basically ceasing to exist as a country. Its its industrial base is destroyed. Its agricultural foundation is destroyed. Uh, most of its critical infra- energy infrastructure is destroyed. That's how he's progressing because he decided that if he can't have it, we can't have it either.
2: So basically what we hear you saying is because What he would accept, I don't think the West would be willing to do, based on all the coverage in terms of, you know, they're not just going to like seed take Ukraine out of NATO. I think Zelensky at this point he's been very smart about aligning himself with important people, and so now he sees himself as they're connected in. They're not going to let him go. Uh, And if you got defense contractors set up to profit in twenty twenty four and beyond, and they're pitching this as a long term investment, what I hear basically everybody saying is we're going to continue to spend. Tens of billions and not hundreds of billions and eventually maybe trillions like in Afghanistan because that's just the way things are going. My, my question, and Rebecca, you, you mentioned how much Peter Schweitzer has written about how Ukraine is corrupt. Before that, he also wrote extensively about actually Ronald Reagan's strategy to end the Cold War in Russia. He's actually kind of got a low you – know, he's low-key a, a, a Russian file. So I guess I'm sort of interested in your assessment. I mean what do you see as the key differences between the way Ronald Reagan approached the Cold War – and how we're now dealing with Russia and and why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think it's what Rebecca was saying, weakness versus strength. I mean, Ronald Reagan, during the context of the Soviet Union, not only created this revolution in military affairs, which scared the daylights out of the CCP, he also challenged the moral authority of communism itself. It's going to end up on the ash heap of history. It's the evil empire. And that resonated with a lot of people. Now, in the context of Putin, uh, uh, Rebecca, things are obviously a little bit different. He's not outspokenly identified as... um, Um, uh, you know, a member of the communist party, although we know that's where his sympathies lie, but I think it's, it is a stunning fact. People can draw their different interpretations from it. It is a stunning fact that the Russian government, specifically Vladimir Putin has gone into Ukraine twice in 2014, when Barack Obama was president and Joe Biden was vice president, then they skipped an administration (laughs) and then the Biden administration, they invaded Ukraine a second time. Um, I'm not saying Trump does everything right, but Trump does instow fear and uncertainty among other major powers. And I think that's a problem with the Biden administration. Uh, Rebecca, what are your thoughts on this um, kind of final thoughts on uh, what the posture should be of an American president? Let's assume uh, we get to 2024. We have a chance to create a sort of hypothetical president to confront Putin. Who's the ideal In the abstract sense, the ideal president, what should their policies be with regards to Russia and how we can beat back what Vladimir Putin is doing, as you highlight in your very excellent book, uh, Putin's Playground?
1: Peter, I'm so delighted that you asked me this question, because the legacy media does not ask me this question because they don't want to talk about Trump. But despite the fact that there was this complete disinformation propagated by the big tech and the big media that uh, Trump somehow was, you know, uh, uh, Putin's friend or, or, or worse, right? right, right. Uh, Putin's <laughs> His <seniors>. client. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Putin feared Trump. Trump, President Trump, the 45th, he pursued the most robust uh, strategy against Russia since President Ronald Reagan. And let me tell you real quick top five things that gave Putin a pause um, that, that Trump did in order to counter Russian uh, doctrine and strategy. Thing number one, President Trump stood up U.S. Space Force. The Russians stood up this in 2001, the minute that they uh, got their hands on the the report that's called the uh, Rumsfeld Commission report that identified vulnerabilities in our satellites. Uh, Putin Developed a strategy, or rather, on his orders, the general staff developed a strategy on how to attack our satellites uh, in wartime and deafen and blind our forces. Well, President Trump understood that, and he stood up our space force that developed counter space weapons to attack the Russian satellites. Number two. Uh, President Trump authorized offensive cyber operations against Russia, which is a top dog in the cyber weapons realm. Right? Uh, Obama w- was afraid to do that. Number three, President Biden—I'm uh, sorry, President Trump—kicked um, out the KGB-owned Enron, quote unquote, antivirus, Kaspersky. Software that that the U.S. government, in its infinite wisdom, was running. <laughs>
2: from government That's not so bad.
1: You can't make this stuff up, guys. I served <laughs> in the government. I served the U.S. government, and uh, you, you know, some of this stuff you can't like imagine what goes on, right? So it took Trump to just kick the heck out this Kaspersky KGB number four, um, in Syria. President Trump authorized a missile strike that killed 300 Russian mercenaries, okay? He called Putin and said, hey, you know, Vlad, are these your guys, you know, over there in Syria, you know, and you know how Wagner Group, uh, the Russian government, didn't recognize it as even as a as a military force, right? They're just, you know, convicts. Um, and Putin said, no, no, what are you talking about? And Trump said, oh, good, because we're, I'm just authorized a missile strike. And They were gone like that. And then the final and most important uh, thing that President Trump did, he authorized the development of a low-yield sea launch nuclear cruise missile. Uh, which would hold a low yield tactical warhead, okay, and that countered just struck at the heart of Putin's escalate to de-escalate strategy, uh, according to which um, a low yield nuclear warhead would detonate in the battlefield in Ukraine at this you know point, right? In order to de-escalate conflict, well, Trump again understood that, and. He authorized this program for us. Well, guess what President Biden does the first day that he comes to office? He kills that program. I mean hmm. Biden did awful things I mean in addition and y'all have written about that you know he killed the Keystone pipeline that basically ratcheted up the prices because and um on uh, on energy and Putin's defense budget raised 1.5 times so basically Biden's action not only financed Putin's war in the beginning they also emboldened it and, and 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 that's the truth. And until regular American folks understand, and here's the truth, and thanks to your podcast that you are, you know, letting people know all this, uh, until that happens all over the networks, uh, this war is going to go on forever, because both Putin knows and Biden knows that this fatigue that's setting in in the United States among the American people, I mean, our attention span, I mean, there are a lot of wars going on. There's a war going on in Syria. Nobody talks about it. This anymore. And so that's what they are planning to achieve here with regard to uh, Russia Ukraine war.
0: Well, we've been talking with uh, Rebecca Koffler, who is the author of Putin's Playbook, an excellent book that we'd recommend everybody read if you can dissect Vladimir Putin's mind. Uh, this is the book that does it. She has a long history working both with the DIA and the CIA on, on these sorts of issues. Rebe- Rebecca has been our guest today. Thank you for joining us. Eric, your final thoughts on this conversation uh, about where we should go next? Um, it doesn't sound like we're going anywhere. It sounds like
2: we're going to go to the 18th <laughs> yeah. AT- to continue to make massive withdrawals to pump cash into Ukraine. And it, it's insane. I mean, I, I, I love Rebecca, Rebecca's take on it. Uh, and just to kind of give some context, for military aid, since the invasion, we gave Ukraine $46 billion, right? Um for the previous high from 2020, we gave Israel $3 billion. So, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. the amount of money we're spending in this country is insane. I personally did not know that we're li- – we literally have purchased yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. If we're funding yeah. their pensions yeah. and yeah. the amount – I think the American people would be shocked to know – it's one thing to put a sticker on your car. It's another thing to know just how much we're paying for and that the people are now pitching Ukraine as an investment yeah. and that defense contractors won't start making money on this thing until next year. I just put it in a very different context and I very much appreciate Rebecca. Thank you for putting it in such an important informed light that I think will help, help people think about it in the right way.
0: Yes, thank you Rebecca for joining us. We commend people to pick up her book. If you want to listen to our other podcasts, you can find them at thedrilldown.com or you can find them on Apple, Google, all sorts of other locations. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.